You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. For the first time in three years, we have a new NBA champion that is not the Golden State Warriors. And for the second time in just three days, we have a catastrophic injury involving those aforementioned Warriors that could drastically change the 2019-2020 outlook here in Houston and really around the entire NBA. To break it all down, welcome in to a new episode here at Locked on Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. Today's show is again brought to you by our friends over at Twillery, where if you go to twillery.com slash locked on, you can use the promo code locked on for $25 off on their complete line of apparel. We're also sponsored by Gallery Furniture, where the red hot summer sale is now underway. Visit any Houston area Gallery Furniture location or go to galleryfurniture.com to take advantage of all the specials. In today's show on this Friday, June 14th, we're going to be looking back at the series and season that was the 2018-2019 NBA campaign. It's now officially in the books because late Thursday night, the Raptors closed it out with a game six win, 114-110 over the Warriors at Oracle Arena. That snaps the Golden State streak at two consecutive titles and three of the past four. The first time there's been a non-Golden State champion in the NBA since the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers. So hat tip to the Raptors, their first title in franchise history. The first Canadian title, Kawhi Leonard finals MVP for the second time in his brief career. It's great to see them succeed and I think it's encouraging on a number of levels. Certainly it shows the value in taking a gamble, which the Raptors did last summer when Kawhi at the time did not have interest in re-signing there once his contract officially ends in a couple of weeks. At the moment, it looks that he will. It's hard to walk away from a champion, but a year ago, that was a risk, and effectively, the Raptors called his bluff. I think for the NBA's long-term health, it's good to see that players don't have all that power. It's good to see that teams, especially in Toronto's case, not really a smaller market, but certainly one that's a little off the beaten path, especially considering the Canadian factor. I think that's encouraging for the league's long-term health. I think the Warriors losing, as dominant as they've been, and of course, a lot of us in Houston We're biased. We're sick of them. I get it. But I think it's also good to have other teams around the league prove that they can win, that you can break through. I also think that in a decade that's been defined by super teams, it started with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh in Miami. Lately, we've had Curry, Durant, Clay Thompson, the juggernaut in Golden State. To see a team with one true superstar break through and win it all, it's really encouraging that fans around the entire NBA it's easier to see a path in which their team can win a title, which is good for the health of the league, the sport. Toronto, there's a lot of good players, certainly Kyle Lowry, former Rocket, also Jeremy Lin. Let's throw a shout out to him. That's two former Rockets on that championship team, Kyle Lowry and Jeremy Lin. But to get back to the superstar point, Kawhi Leonard is the only truly great player on that team. Now, there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of pretty good ones. Mark Gasol, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, You can go up and down that roster, and they've done a great job putting it together. But there's only one truly transcendent talent. And in a league where it's felt like at times in the past decade that you need at least two and perhaps three, I think that's very encouraging. 
Now, with the Raptors, granted, they took some steps, especially during the regular season when Kawhi only played 60 games to make sure that he'd be in peak performance by the playoffs, load management, all those types of things. It's not just as simple as they put together this roster with only one star and it clicked. No, they were proactive and they made sure that that one star would be in peak form by the time the playoffs got here. Overall, though, I think these trends certainly very encouraging for the league as a whole, the sport, and even though the Rockets did not win it this year, I largely consider this a feel-good championship. Now, we'll talk about these angles a bit more, the series and season that was, especially what we learned from the Raptors' win, also the Warriors' loss, even without Kevin Durant, and later without Klay Thompson, they did not go out without a fight. They proved that they're a deserving two-time defending champion, three of the past four, well, before this one. They are really, really good. And let's make sure before we go too in-depth into the episode, breaking down all the angles, that we give them their credit. They are a dynasty. With that said, there are now more cracks in the dynasty than ever before. It goes back to the aforementioned injury, which for the Warriors, perhaps the most devastating part of these past few days, it's not just that they lost the title. After all, with them being down three games to one, I think a lot of us have seen this coming for a while. It's the nature of the injuries. First in game five, it was the Achilles for Kevin Durant. We did a show earlier this week addressing the impact of that. And then in game six, Clay Thompson tearing his ACL. While not quite as severe as an Achilles, that's a best case scenario of missing eight or nine months in which he returns next February or March misses the vast majority of the regular season, and the odds are he's probably not 100% right away, either from a minutes perspective or just from what he can do in those minutes that he's on the floor. There's a process in which he eventually builds back stamina, but also trust, and the reality, just like Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson is probably not going to be himself again until the 2020-2021 season. So as far as the implications here in Houston, You never like to see injuries, but it's pretty hard not to see this as a boost to Houston's championship odds a year from now. That's just the reality. Because the Warriors, even if they do re-sign Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson, which the odds have been against, and now there's the added dynamic of will the Warriors pay all this luxury tax money and compromise their ability to add depth for not one, but two players who are basically going to be having redshirt years next season. And then after that, Steph Curry will be 32, Andre Iguodala will be 36. So you're going into a very uncertain time in Golden State. And in a Western Conference where the Warriors have been the only thing standing between the Rockets and supremacy, that has a lot to do with how you view this offseason, what you need to do, and your outlook for next year if you're Gerald Morey. And it's weird to say that considering the major changes that we've talked about for the Rockets over the past month. But these past three days truly have meant that much. Because as much as you can say, well, the Rockets didn't get it done even when the Warriors lost Durant, okay, but they had Klay Thompson, who was massive not just on offense, but defense as well. The Warriors without both Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson next season, they're not a contender. They're probably still a playoff team, but you are not going to win a championship. And it's not like they have cap room to replace those guys because they're over the cap anyway, unless they let one or both of those guys go. And if that's the case, then it's going to be a completely different team. That's just tearing it down. So the Warriors are not going to be the Warriors next year. It's wide open for the Rockets to go out and get the number one seed in the West. 
And this is where it's important to remember how the Rockets season came together. Because I'm sure you will hear some saying, well, the Rockets just won 53 games. Technically, they were the four seed. Aren't Denver and Portland hanging around too? The difference is that the Rockets got to their 53 wins because they started 11 and 14. The Camarlo Anthony experiment failed. There was the hangover effect, all those types of things. For the final 57 games of the season, plus the first five of the playoffs, this was legitimately a 60-plus win team on a pace of more than three-quarters of the season. This coming off a prior year in which they went 65-17. and 17. So I tend to believe that it's the 25-game start, which also had Carmelo Anthony, James Ennis, Michael Carter-Williams, those failed off-season signings. I think pretty clearly when you look at the entirety of the evidence that it's that early stretch that was the outlier. The Rockets are in a different class than those other pretty good teams in the West. And we saw that in round one when even with Clint Capella dealing with a pretty significant respiratory issue, the Rockets still won four games to one over the Jazz, a very good team for a second consecutive year. And with squads like the Blazers, the Jazz, the Nuggets, sure, there are some young players, but they don't really have the cap room to go out and get better. They really are limited just as much as the Rockets are in terms of building for this coming season. Now, of course, the Rockets will be aggressive. I'm sure those teams will as well. But it's hard to see right now how they can become more than what they were a year ago. Now, sure, they'll improve some organically, but enough to make up the gap that, in my opinion, is pretty clearly there between the Rockets and the Warriors this past season and the rest of the Western Conference, I don't see it. Now, I know in the standings that gap wasn't there, but again, that goes back to that 25-game outlier stretch at the beginning of last season. So as I see it, if the Warriors take a step back, which with KD and Clay out for most or all of next season, we heard from Steve Kerr, actually, that at this point, the Warriors believe that Durant will miss all of next season. They won't even try, it sounds like, to bring him back in March or April, which, as I said earlier this week, I think that's problematic with the star of KD's level. It's not easy for him to just slide into role-player mode and maybe 20-25 minutes per game work his way back in as a complimentary shooter. No, for a guy that's used to being the alpha dog, not just of his team, but the entire league, to play in such a limited role to get back nine months after an Achilles tear, I don't know if that's realistic. I think for the Achilles in particular, waiting until 2020-2021 is smart. With Clay Thompson and the ACL, that's a bit more traditional in terms of the injury than an Achilles, but it's still not something that you're going to be 100% from just to ask Derrick Rose right away. That takes time, not just physically, but mentally getting over it, and the odds are if he does get back to where he was, it's probably not until 2020-2021, just like Kevin Durant. So the window in the West is wide open for the Rockets. Now, I know the odds makers, you'll see a lot of talk this week about the Lakers and the Clippers. I'm not really buying it. For starters, as far as the odds, these are two LA teams. Vegas sets their odds in part based on where the money is coming on. With two teams in that market, there's an enormous amount of fans, there's sex appeal to it, that type of thing. Everybody is wondering about the Clippers and their potentially two max salary slots, or the Lakers if they can swing a deal for Anthony Davis, something like that. However, as I see it, it's really tough to see those two teams getting to the Houston level, assuming the Rockets don't fall off at that 60-win tier. Folks, I know Anthony Davis is a great player. Well, for starters, the Lakers have not gotten him yet. But even if they do, this was a team that won 37 games a year ago. Now, granted, they probably win something closer to 45 if they don't shut it down early in terms of LeBron, that type of thing. But then you're going from a 45-win clip 
to now needing to be, I guess, better than the Rockets. You need to go from the 45 wins here to about 60. LeBron's turning 35. So by the way, some of the injuries he suffered, that's just part of being an NBA player with that much mileage, especially starting at age 18, the way he did. And then beyond that, it's not like you'd just be signing Anthony Davis. You'd be giving up some of your young core, guys like Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, that played a role in what success the Lakers had. So it's not like you're just dropping AD in to this 45-win team from a year ago. Because for starters, they didn't even win 45 games. Secondly, you'd be subtracting from that team. LeBron's going to be 35, which is an age where you don't really have that many true stars. While Anthony Davis would make the Lakers a playoff team, it is a huge leap to then say, wow, the Lakers go from winning 37 games a year ago to the class of the Western Conference. It's not that simple. The Rockets' foundation is a lot more sturdy. It's a lot more proven. Similarly, the Clippers, yes, they've got two max slots. For starters, I don't really see Kawhi Leonard going there. I have a tough time envisioning him leaving Toronto after winning the title. And other than Kawhi, who are the true difference makers that are going to go into those slots and then make the Clippers a team at, say, a 60-win level? Because you have to factor in, it's not just the two guys that you're adding in, it's that you're losing a lot of the group, such as Pat Beverly, for example, that led you to the success the Clippers had this year. Sure, they were a nice mid-40s wins team, and they pushed the Warriors a tiny bit in the playoffs, but if you're going to get two max slots, you have to let a lot of guys go, not just in terms of not resigning them, you have to renounce their rights. I mentioned Beverly, but there's several others as well. So just as with the Lakers, it's not like you're just adding Anthony Davis to whatever you had last year. No, if you're the Clippers, you would be adding those two max players while losing a handful of other guys to fit them in. So it's not like you can just extrapolate, here's what we did a year ago, now you're adding these two slots. The other thing is that with Kawhi seemingly staying in Toronto, or at least I would say the heavy favorite at this point, the Raptors would be for his services, who exactly are the other top-tier free agents on the market? I guess you're looking at Kyrie Irving, although there's been a lot of talk about him in the Brooklyn Nets. Maybe Jimmy Butler? These are nice players, but they're not the class in which you put those guys on the Clippers and then, oh, wow, they're ready for the NBA Finals. There's going to be a lot of hype around it because it's new, because it's sexy, it's a big market. I understand those storylines. And of course, the talk shows on ESPN, the Vegas odds, which reflect a lot of casual fans and what they want to put down money on. I understand why there's going to be talk. But I think acting as if the Clippers or Lakers are going to go from a mid-40s win pace at best, that's if we concede that the Lakers aren't really a 37-win team, that that's just a reflection of them shutting it down early. I think seeing the Clippers or Lakers go from mid-40s to leading the conference that's a major, major jump. And the other teams in the West, it's tough to see how they make that jump from pretty good to really good. So the Rockets, all of a sudden, we've talked for the last month about upping their risk profile because it felt like that there's just this wall in the Warriors that they can't get over. Well, now everything has changed. So I do think this potentially impacts the degree of risk that Daryl Morey is willing to take on this offseason. All of a sudden, the floor, the status quo, that has a lot more relevance. And I'm sure some will say, Ben, what about the East? After all, that's where the current NBA champion is in Toronto, although the Rockets did go 2-0 against the Raptors this season. My response to that is that it's really tough to build your team specifically about one or two squads in the other conference. 
That's no disrespect to the Bucks or Raptors, who are really good. But unless it's just a all-time transcendent team like the Warriors of the past five years, I think you first and foremost have to be concerned by who is in your conference. Because out east, the Raptors, the Bucks, keep in mind the Sixers pushed Toronto to seven. They were the closest team of anyone to beating them. Even the Celtics, if they can somehow get Kyrie Irving back, we know the young talent that they have. You have no idea who's going to be in the finals. Now, yes, the Rockets need to get better. They need to get more talented, ideally longer, more athletic in the front court, younger overall. All of these things are true, but they're true no matter what. That's just a 30,000-foot overview of where the Rockets are as a franchise. I don't think you do anything drastic in terms of your off-season strategy based on the Milwaukee Bucks. And by the way, that's the one squad out east that the Rockets did not play well this year, losing both of their meetings. Well, guess what? The offseason, Chris Middleton is a free agent, Brooke Lopez is a free agent, and the Bucks don't even have bird rights to him, so he's likely to go. Malcolm Brogdon, Nikola Mirotic, over half that team, the guys who played in the playoffs, are up for free agency. So there's a lot of questions on what's going to be surrounding Giannis next season. Overall, though, it's less about any one team in the East, and I just don't think that they have anywhere near the same significance when building your roster as the Warriors of the past few seasons have. Because in the West, there's been such a gap between the Warriors and every other team. When you're Gerald Morey in the offseason, you have to think about X's and O's matchups with Golden State because barring major injuries, there was no way they weren't going to be there. You were always going to have to play them. Again, out East, whether you play Milwaukee, Toronto, or someone else, that's all up for grabs and it wouldn't happen until the NBA Finals anyway. It's just not nearly the same weighting in the calculus as it is when you're talking about a team in the West that's way better than everyone else. Not saying it's insignificant, it's just not quite the same. Yes, I'm not convinced that the Rockets are better than the Raptors and the Bucks. I don't want this to be misconstrued. You could argue that those sides are better than Houston right now, much the same way that the Warriors have been the last few years. But since they're in the Eastern Conference, in terms of your level of desperation in the offseason, if you're Rockets GM Daryl Morey, that's where it's a little bit different. That's where the foundation, and right now, I think the sensible number one team in the West is your Houston Rockets. That matters a whole heck of a lot. Now, it doesn't change everything. As stated, the Rockets do need to get better. The deficiencies in terms of height, athleticism, depth, those are all very real. None of that has changed. However, what's different about the injuries of the past three days, what has changed with that specifically is that it probably gives more value to your floor scenario. As of now, you can run it back and you can mount a logical case that it might work out. Now, there's no guarantees, of course. There never are. But the fact that there's even a possibility of running it back and that being enough, that's very different than the way I felt once Game 6 went final a month ago. To get more specific, the one player and or asset that this may most affect the valuation of, to me, is Clint Capella. Because so much of our souring on him has been based around the idea of him being a matchup problem against the Warriors. Well, now, if Golden State is less of a factor, then the strengths we have seen from Clint against the other Western Conference playoff teams, the likes of the Nuggets with Nikola Jokic, the Jazz with Rudy Gobert, those positives matter a lot more now that they're not as offset by the enormous negative, which is the matchup of Capella against the Warriors. Now, I'm not saying that because of this, you just stay with him no matter what. 
because certainly I'm sure the Bucks and Raptors could do at least some of the things against Capella that the Warriors did, although I think Draymond is a very unique matchup in this generation of the NBA. If you can move Capella in a hypothetical three-way for Jimmy Butler, as I've suggested for a few weeks now, yes, absolutely you do it. If there's a chance to bolster your team, you still look to move him because I think he is by far your best asset under contract for four more years, just 25 years old, 17 and 13, 65% from the field. All of those things are true. Just because Golden State had a couple of injuries doesn't radically change everything that we have discussed over the past month. It's not as if it's all irrelevant. The Rockets would like to get better, and Capella could be the ticket to doing that. However, what I think has changed with these injuries is the idea that it's essential. At this point, you can be more selective. If you can move Capella for a clear upgrade, again, the Jimmy Butler hypothetical, yes, you do it. What has changed, in my opinion, is that you make a move just to make one. For example, earlier this week, I talked about the hypothetical of maybe Capella, who with his contract situation and age could be an asset to the Pelicans. Do you look to get involved in the Lakers or Celtics talks and try and pick up a Jalen Brown, a number four pick if it's the Lakers or some combination of Ingram, Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, those types of players that have certainly a higher ceiling than Capella, but also a lower floor. None of them were as good as Clint this past season. That to me is what's different. It's not to say that the Rockets just run it back. No, they need to make tweaks regardless, schematically. Certainly, they need to bring in more depth. They need to be ready from day one in a way that they weren't last year. They had to adjust on the fly, signing Austin Rivers, Daniel House. They need to get better in a lot of areas. None of that has changed. The only thing that is different now, and it's important, is that the need for major moves, while if you can get a lot better, if you can get a clear difference maker, that true number two after James Harden, as far as a star in the hierarchy of this team, yes, you do it. What has changed now, in my opinion, is that you don't make a move just to make one. If a big deal doesn't come about, you don't then just say, well, I'll move Capella for a Jalen Brown type or something like that just to take a swing and then, well, we'll see what happens. If it doesn't, then whatever, we weren't going to win anyway. No, there's a case now to where you can win anyway. It's not a guarantee, but the possibility is certainly not zero or even 5%. It's a lot better than that. I put the Rockets as the favorite in the Western Conference, and no matter how you feel about the Bucs or Raptors or anyone out East, you get to the NBA Finals and you've got a heck of a shot, especially if you have James Harden. That, to me, is a pretty big difference relative to what we were expecting the Warriors, certainly with Klay Thompson and possibly with Kevin Durant as well. To me, the Warriors going down... While it doesn't dramatically change your offseason, the deficiencies are still there. They want to get more athletic. They want to get more depth. They need to be better defensively. All of those things are still true. We'll see what they do with the coaching staff because those that specialize on the defensive side, Jeff Bestelic, Mitchell Vanya, Rory Rogers, et cetera, et cetera, they're no longer there. So the Rockets are not going to be the same team. This is not going to be run it back part two. However, it also is not quite the same level of desperation as we thought a few days ago. If things are just a little bit changed rather than dramatically, that might be okay. That, to me, is far and away the biggest lesson from these NBA Finals, and not so much the Finals themselves, but the injuries that resulted from it. Now, we'll talk a little more tactically about the NBA Finals, specifically how the Raptors kept their star, Kawhi Leonard, healthy, not just in that series, but throughout the season as a whole in the form of load management. I think there's some interesting lessons there and also contrasted with the injuries to KD and Clay, who have had a ton of use over the past three to five years in Oakland. I think there's some very intriguing Rockets angles there. 
But before we get to that, I want to throw a shout out to our awesome friends and sponsors over at Gallery Furniture, where they are now kicking off the summer with red hot savings on select items during their red hot summer sale. Stop by any convenient Houston area Gallery Furniture location at 6006 North Freeway, 7227 West Grand Parkway South, or 2411 Post Oak Boulevard to take advantage of 40 to 60% savings on Houston's best selection of solid wood, made in America furniture, name brand mattresses, 100% real top grain leather, and upholstered living room styles, one of a kind market samples, and so much more. Plus, you'll find Gallery Furniture's lowest prices ever on quality pieces for every room in your home, including sofas starting at $399, dining sets as low as $599, Sealy queen-size mattresses starting at $599, and more. Don't miss your chance to enjoy these incredible summer savings at Gallery Furniture. As always, when you shop Gallery Furniture today, you can have your quality purchases delivered straight to your Houston area home within hours when you choose same-day delivery. You can also visit them at galleryfurniture.com. All right, jumping back into our show on this Friday, June 14th, this is Locked on Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose. We spent the first segment, initial 20 minutes or so, looking back at the NBA Finals, and really that's what we'll be doing this entire show. In segment one, we looked at it primarily through the lens of the injuries, KD with a torn Achilles, Clay Thompson with a torn ACL. Injuries are likely to keep them out for all or at least most of next season, and of course, beyond just the Raptors winning the finals, that, because it directly trickles into next year, has an impact on the Rockets and where they stand in the Western Conference and really the entire NBA as they try and get a championship, the first one in this era of the franchise under James Harden and Mike D'Antoni. That, to me, is the leading storyline because there's such a clear relationship to what the Rockets need to do next season. It's not just about them. When you're trying to be the best team out of 30, it's not always about you. It's also about who you're competing with. So even though the Rockets did not play in this series, yes, their odds took a huge jump forward, in my opinion, based on their biggest competition in the Western Conference, the Golden State Warriors, taking a step back. That, to me, is by far the most meaningful aspect of the NBA Finals for the Rockets. However, there are also some, I'll say, related takeaways, although more short-term, that I think that we can look at from this series, specifically the injuries to Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson, how they may have come to be, and meanwhile, on the other side, Kawhi Leonard, Finals MVP, appearing relatively fresh. And when Steve Kerr was asked after Game 6, at that time, they hadn't officially released the torn ACL for Clay, but it was pretty clear it was serious. He limped out on crutches, ice pack on his knee, and then, of course, everyone knew the status of Kevin Durant after Monday's Game 5. The first thing that Kerr suggested was five-plus years of playing 100 games or more, referring to the 82-game grind of a season plus four postseason rounds, which is something that I've cited a lot as potentially something that made the bodies of Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson a bit more prone to the types of injuries that they suffered in this series. Because even though some of it's just randomness, Clay Thompson, he got undercut a little bit on a dunk by Danny Green, who was trying to make a block. Not a dirty play, it's basketball, but certainly it's random, it's an acute situation, but maybe the bodies are just a little more prone to go given all of that mileage. And as I see it, there are some potential takeaways for the Rockets and James Harden, especially when you look on the other side in which the Raptors, even though they have just one star, because he only played 60 games this season, Kawhi Leonard, with that load management program, and they were pretty diligent in the playoffs, even in the fourth quarter of game six, I thought they would rush him back, maybe have him play the entire fourth quarter that would give him 42, 44 minutes for the game. Nope, they were pretty diligent, and they were really throughout the entire regular season, the playoff run, and that kept him in 
as close to peak form as possible, which is really impressive considering the chronic quad situation that he has going on. For Houston, what's really noteworthy about this, of course, is that the Rockets are only a one-star team at the moment. James Harden, reigning MVP of the league, he's really good, but I don't think anyone truly considers Chris Paul or Clint Capella a star-level player. Chris, a year ago, not now, and with him turning 34 years old, I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to be at a true star level moving forward. He's a pretty good number two. Clint Capella can certainly be, at times, an all-star level difference maker, depending on the matchup, but no one is going to radically transform their game plan defensively, their coverage is what they do, based on those two players. In Houston, it's all about James Harden. And even though the usage for Harden has not been as extreme as it's been for these Warriors players, who knows, perhaps these last two playoff series against the Rockets took something out of them. At the same time, it's not dramatically different. A year ago, the Rockets went three rounds, and the last one included a game seven. 2017 and 2019, they went two rounds, and of course, this grueling six-gamer against the Warriors in round two. While the mileage on Harden is a little bit less than KD and Clay over the past five years, it's not dramatically less. The Rockets have been in the playoffs every year, all but one. They've advanced at least to the second round, twice to the Western Conference Finals. And in the regular season, we know how Harden does not like to sit out games. He's also been remarkably durable. This is someone who's been 70-plus games every single year of his seven-year career in Houston to this point, knock on wood. So when you look at the relative health of Kawhi Leonard contrasted with KD and Clay going down, I know some of it could just be randomness, but there's also an element of preparation to it. And that's something that with James Harden turning 30 this offseason, the Rockets may be wise to keep in mind. Because even though they haven't won a title, that's the one negative, is that the Warriors, at least they have these rings to fall back on. The Rockets and James Harden, they haven't pushed quite to the workload of those Golden State stars, but it's not astronomically different either. And to this point, they don't even have a single ring to fall back on. So with James Harden going into his 30s, that's something that I think really the entire organization should keep in mind. Over the near term, I do think that is why you'd like to see them get another star-level player. I mentioned Jimmy Butler as a hypothetical in the first segment. We were talking about how the losses of KD and Clay and that might play into the offseason for the Rockets, what their needs are. I think the biggest reason that would push you towards getting a true difference maker like that is not just because of what it would mean in the playoffs, because the Rockets, especially if the Warriors aren't there anymore, are good enough to win anyway. I actually think the biggest benefit could be in the regular season, because be it sitting James Harden down for a game here or there, or just taking his usage down a smidge, then perhaps it avoids getting you to a point where the Warriors have been over this past week with Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. Because above all else, what these finals show you with the injuries is that everything can change in an instant. This next season, think about how crazy it is if the Warriors had just conceded down 3-1, if they had not rushed Durant back, if they had said, you know what, this isn't our year. Let's say they take the blowout in Toronto in Game 5 that a lot of us were expecting after the Raptors took not just one, but both games in Golden State, Game 3 and Game 4. If that happens, of course Durant doesn't tear his Achilles because he's not playing, and Klay Thompson never tears his ACL because there's no Game 6 for him to tear it in. In a cruel way, the Warriors were punished because they had the heart to keep fighting, and it may cost them the upcoming 2019-2020 season. That's the cold reality of sports sometimes. 
But if you're a Rockets fan, I don't know how you can watch that when you see just a direct correlation between their level of fight and two guys in Durant, especially Thompson, who have been so tough, so durable over their careers, especially their time in Golden State, and then wonder, could this be James Harden? All it takes is one false step. And then when you look on the other side and see a guy, even with a chronic injury history, appearing relatively fresh, and you know that a big part of it is that he played just 60 games in the regular season. They were so diligent about not extending his minutes totals into the low to mid-40s, anything crazy like that. It has to at least make you wonder. Now, I'm not saying the Rockets should do anything as drastic as what the Raptors did with Kawhi. That was because he has a confirmed injury with that quad that's, according to some doctors, degenerative. So maybe the Rockets can do with 70 or 75 games what the Raptors did with limiting Kawhi to 60. It doesn't have to be that significant of a cut. But with James turning 30, even if there's no injury now, that's what the KD and Clay situation should remind you. Even if they appear healthy, even if they say they're good to go, all it takes, especially when you go through the workload, the mileage, which with Harden, it's not quite to that extent, but it's not nothing either. All it takes is one step and the entire fortunes of a franchise can change. And here in Houston, where James's importance to the Rockets is probably more than any NBA player to his team, it should be a reminder that managing James Harden going forward, especially now that he's getting into his 30s, that's as important a priority as anything else the Rockets can do this offseason when it comes to building the roster around him. You can't take for granted what James has done these past few years. Managing him is every bit as important, if not more so, moving forward. That, to me, is another lesson that these 2019 NBA Finals should tell you from a Rockets perspective. Now, we'll finish off our show in just a few moments with some talk about the Warriors and a little bit of praise for the guts that they played with. As painful as it is for them with how it's turned out with the Durant and Thompson injuries, they certainly showed us a lot of heart in the process that even as Rockets fans, I know we're conditioned to hate them, we certainly should respect them for what they've shown. We'll give them their due in just a few moments. But for now, I want to tell you about our other sponsors today over at Twillery. Because with Twillery, Smart Casual just got smarter and cheaper. Twillery is built on a century-old family manufacturing business. They make millions of shirts a year for leading brands, and then they leverage those contacts and their team's technical know-how to keep costs down, all while maintaining high standards in quality and craftsmanship. Their view is that shirts shouldn't wrinkle, itch, or sweat, because it's 2019. These guys know that shirts are a commodity, and they make stocking up your closet as simple as restocking beer in your fridge. Easy, affordable, and the perfect fit, guaranteed. They offer non-iron, untuckable, and performance dress shirts, and with free shipping and returns, you can try on some twills risk-free. After all, feeling is believing. Twillery brings performance work shirts to the next level with four-way stretch material that shuts down wrinkles, stops sweat, and keeps you looking and feeling cool. Best of all, it's the top value in smart workwear. With the shop and bundle model, you all have access to shirts that competitors are selling for $100 and up for as low as $55 per shirt. Grab yourself some today at twillery.com slash locked on and use the promo code locked on for $25 off. They've even got a limited time Father's Day special where until this Sunday, June 16th, you can enjoy a free set of bottle opener collar stays. That's all from our friends over at Twillery, who you can visit at twillery.com slash locked on. That's T-W-I-L-L-O-R-Y. And don't forget to use that promo code locked on for an extra $25 off on anything in their complete line of apparel. Final thoughts on this Friday, June 14th, 
This is Locked on Rockets. I'm Ben DuBose. Today's show, we're recapping the NBA Finals, which ended last night. Toronto winning in Game 6 and all the storylines resulting from it, both the result and the injuries that could impact the Rockets. Here in the third and final segment, I'm going to give some credit to the Warriors. This may not be pleasant for a lot of our diehard Rockets fans to hear, but let's give them some respect. They certainly paid a price for the heart at which they showed the injuries to Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson, which could sideline them for most, if not all, of next season. Durant with the Achilles, Clay Thompson with the ACL. But the degree of heart that Golden State showed in this series was something else. What I was most struck by in the fourth quarter of Game 6, after Clay left, the Warriors were only up by three when that happened, the Thompson injury. And yet they were down one with the ball in the final 10 seconds, and Steve Kerr drew up an incredible play out of bounds that got Steph Curry, the best shooter of this generation, maybe of all time, a wide open look at a three that would have probably won the game. The Raptors could not have advanced the ball because they didn't have any timeouts left and pushed Toronto to the brink of elimination, even though the Warriors were without both Durant and Clay. That's how close they came. Even having every excuse in the book to fold, they didn't do it. Now, none of that is to take credit away from Toronto. They are deserving champions, and they made some really tough shots down the stretch. Not just Kawhi, but Pascal Siakam, the play he made off the dribble against Draymond Green to put Toronto up three with 30 seconds left. That was a good reminder specifically of what they have, Toronto that is, that the Rockets do not. A big at six foot nine or taller that can put the ball on the floor, has some multi-dimensional qualities to his game, can score off the bounce, those types of things. That was a tough shot. Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet. We had so many, both stars and under-the-radar guys, that stepped up for Toronto to win this series. And that should be, on the national stage, the biggest story. However, here in Houston, what I think this tells you, besides the obvious of the injuries, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, even though the Warriors survived without them last night, and they were largely, I don't know if fine without Durant would be the best way to put it because certainly they missed him but they kept winning right up until this series but even in this series just look at how hard it was for the Raptors to put the Warriors away game five in Toronto the Raptors were on an incredible run Kawhi one of the best individual exploits certainly of this playoffs but it was an all-time legendary stretch the Warriors were reeling the emotional aftermath of the obvious Durant Achilles injury He was gone for the series. He wasn't coming back. They were up six at home with under three minutes left. Everything going their way. First ever title. And the Warriors got off the mat. This one. Again, Clay went out with the Warriors up only three. They hung around. The Raptors were up six again with under three minutes left. And all of a sudden, Golden State had the ball down only one with under 10 seconds left. And Kerr drew up a play that got Steph Curry a wide open look. They have so much character. Now, I do think that it will be different over a full season, just as in the Rockets series, it was easy for them to survive in a game and a quarter without Kevin Durant. I think it could have been different if the series started that way, but in the short term, especially how difficult it is for the Rockets to adjust on the fly, the Warriors had enough culture to where they could survive it, and at least in a smaller sample, rediscover the form they had pre-KD, when it was just Steph, Clay, Draymond, Iguodala, younger versions of all of those guys. And a smaller sample, those won out. And even without Clay, we saw that to a small extent in the fourth quarter of Game 6. The Warriors had no business hanging around in that game. 
In fact, Steph Curry was not very good offensively at all. And yet, the team was good enough defensively, as long as they had Draymond and Iguodala. I joked on Twitter that you could put those two out with any three of us on my timeline, and you'd probably have a competent NBA defense. And I'm only slightly exaggerating. They fought, they hustled so hard. Iguodala, who's 35 years old, was burying contested shots. Boogie Cousins was dusting off some of the effects of his own Achilles injury from a year ago. They found so many unlikely contributions, and of course it's the chemistry, the camaraderie, the culture that Steve Kerr has built there over his five seasons. I know some of you probably don't enjoy me saying this, but they are an all-time great team. Tip your hat. Now, I don't expect it to carry over to next season because an NBA season, 82 games, and then the playoffs, it's a grind. Asking Steph Curry, who will turn 32, to carry the load not just without KD, but also without Clay. If he stays healthy, it will be a minor miracle. And even if he does stay out there, just the toll physically of night after night, having that type of workload, it'll catch up with you in a way that in the playoffs, one or two games, or in this case, a quarter, you can survive based on adrenaline and heart, which they did. Over a full season, I don't expect them to be able to, even if they do choose to re-sign one or both of Clay and KD in free agency, and of course those players, I think Clay would definitely say yes. KD, it's much more up in the air what he'll do, especially given the injury. We'll have to wait and see. The point of what I'm trying to get to is that it's pretty clear now there's no shame in the Rockets losing to the Warriors without Kevin Durant. Because the Warriors, without KD and Clay Thompson, still almost pushed the Raptors to the brink of elimination. In a small sample, the culture, the heart, Those guys are champions. As Steve Kerr put it, they are giants. I know it sucks. I know they're annoying. I know in the Western Conference, they're always in Houston's way. But it's the truth. And so when I watched that game last night, how the Raptors had to make so many tough shots down the stretch, even against a Warriors side that, of course, you notice that you don't have his offense. Clay shot better than 50% from three in the finals, which was just staggering. He had 30 points before even the third quarter was complete. And you think about him as a bomber and what you lose there. Defensively, he's so valuable. We saw that in the game three loss, the way he's able to really lock down just about any player at so many different positions. And yet the Warriors, without his shooting on offense, without his contributions on defense, they still made it so, so difficult for the Raptors to win that game. So in closing, there's a couple of things that jump out to me. First, tip your hat. We may not like how they came together, especially Kevin Durant going there after they'd already won a title in 73 games, but this is an all-time great NBA team, and this was probably their last gasp, because even if they do re-sign Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson, neither is likely to be a significant factor next season, and While starting in 2020, 2021, it's not impossible for those guys to get back to form. It's hard to see the Warriors being the same, considering that's the year that Steph Curry will turn 33. Just ask Chris Paul at that same position, same age, what that's like. Andre Iguodala turned 37, Draymond 31. Then you have the after effects of the Durant and Clay injuries. This was probably their last gasp of this dynasty. Now, the question for the Rockets, of course, with James Harden about to turn 30 himself, do they have enough to hold on before the next version of the Warriors, wherever the next super team on the horizon inevitably gets formed. That's what the modern NBA seems to be about. But as far as this series, first, give props to the Warriors for everything they showed. Despite having every excuse to quit, they kept coming. I'm pleased with the results of the series. Personally, here in Houston, as just a fan of the league, the sport, I think it's better for a team that's not Golden State to win a championship. 
but you can also respect what they showed you throughout this series and throughout the entire postseason, despite having a lot of reasons and potential excuses to say it's not our year. In some ways, as I said earlier, the cold reality is that they got burned from actually trying. Because if they had folded up shop in Game 5, Durant probably doesn't have an Achilles tear and Clay Thompson definitely doesn't tear an ACL because there isn't a Game 6. But you certainly respect the heart and the fight that they showed. And where this impacts the Rockets, we spent a lot of this show talking about what the injuries will mean for next season and they're significant. But I also think there's a story to be told about how this season ended. And what I think we can push back against pretty firmly now is this idea that when Kevin Durant went down, the Rockets just choked. That this was a team that they just should have beaten. No excuses. That the Warriors just became an afterthought. No, they're so special that not only were they incredibly good without KD, they pushed the Raptors almost to the brink even without KD and Klay Thompson. There's something special in that locker room. And in a very small sample size, they can bring it out. Even without not one, but two All-Stars. They are that good. Now, I don't expect that to carry over next year when the season starts in October. It's very different over the marathon, the grind of an 82-game season. But for now, what I think that Game 6 should tell you, it was never about the Rockets. It was about the Warriors. That's not to give Houston a pass, because it's on the Rockets. It's Gerald Morey's objective, really everyone in that organization, to get them to that level, to get them a championship. That's the point. But in terms of where it went wrong this year, it wasn't the Rockets choking. Because the Warriors, it doesn't matter who they're missing. They have enough there that even with the injuries, you have to knock them out. They are the villain in a horror movie that keeps coming back to life until you shoot them 20 times. I don't care what the lineup on the floor is at a given moment. It's not just about how it looks on paper against those guys. They have, as Rudy Tomjanovich said back in the 90s, the last Rockets championship team, the heart of a champion. That is undeniable at this point. So while you certainly shouldn't feel great about how the Rockets season ended, you also shouldn't be despondent. Because what's been shown by the Warriors since, certainly the sweep of the Blazers in the Western Conference Finals, and then pushing the Raptors as hard as they did, even without KD, and then without Klay Thompson, it should be a pretty stark reminder that this group in Golden State is really, really special. Now, I do think there's reason to believe that it'll be over after this playoff run, given the injuries. But in terms of looking back on the 2019 playoff series, the six-game loss for the Rockets in round two to these Warriors, not saying you should smile about it, but I also don't think you should look at it as some catastrophic defeat or missed opportunity. Because these Warriors, doesn't matter who the opponent is, they are going to be tough and they're going to push you. And there's no shame in losing to those guys. That's just the reality of it. Fortunately, those guys are not going to be the same moving forward. And that's where the Rockets window should be very open starting next season. Anyway, we'll, of course, talk much more about next season, specifics the Rockets can do this offseason in the days and weeks ahead. The draft is next Thursday. The Rockets don't have any picks at the moment, but of course, that's sort of a linchpin, the draft date for activity all around the league. So certainly, Gerald Moore will be active. And then Sunday, June 30th is when free agency officially opens. And we expect the Rockets, both with their mid-level exception and, of course, on the trade market, to be very active this year. So we'll have a lot more to talk about specifically in the days and weeks ahead here at Locked on Rockets.
This is just our final big picture show looking at these NBA finals, really the entire postseason, the 2018-2019 campaign, closing the book on that. Big picture, 30,000 foot view, what are the lessons that we've learned and how do they frame the job that Daryl Morey has to do this offseason and moving forward to get the Rockets to the position next June that the Toronto Raptors are currently in holding that trophy and planning their parade in just a couple of days. Anyway, if you want more content before our next show next week, there are, of course, many ways that you can get that. First and foremost is Twitter, where I'm on there at Ben Dubose, and the show is on there at Lockdown Rockets. Beyond that, we've got a website at LockdownRockets.com, a Facebook account at Facebook.com slash LockdownRockets, an email address, LockdownRockets at gmail.com. All of those are ways you can access prior episodes, or you can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, those types of things. Or you can inquire about how to become a potential sponsor of the program, just like our friends over at Gallery Furniture, where the Red Hot Summer Sale is now in full swing. Visit any Houston-area Gallery Furniture location, or go to GalleryFurniture.com to take advantage of the specials. You can also support our friends over at Twillery, where if you go to Twillery.com slash LockedOn, you can use the promo code LockedOn for $25 off on their entire line of apparel. Beyond listening and supporting our sponsors, please remember that to get this show every day, you can and should subscribe to Locked on Rockets on Himalaya's new podcast app. In this ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and new features each and every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Rockets. Of course, you can also listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and much more. And I encourage you to do that and to leave five-star reviews wherever you can. That's how you can help us out from a business perspective and keep this thing rolling as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. And remember, when you get in your car, you go to the gym, you can even tell your smart device to play podcast Lockdown Rockets and get our most recent episodes that way as well. Once again, thanks to all of you for listening, and please come back soon for more episodes right here at Lockdown Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.